Today on Blue 58, we are officially in the offseason. Let's get the lay of the land before diving into the top priority for the Packers, decisions on pending free agents. But first, some final thoughts on the NFC Championship. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about the NFC Championship, but after a little bit of time to reflect, I, I have a couple more things I want to talk about. It's hard to do rapid reaction podcasts and get everything that you want to say about a game out of the way, but I... I feel like we hit it pretty well right after that game. But I also feel that right after the game, I was feeling more sad and just in general thinking about the whole scope of the season than thinking specifically about why things turned out the way they did. And we did talk a little bit about Mike Pettin in that one, but I didn't, I feel like maybe I was a little bit too, too easy on him. But now, having taken a while to think about it, process things, feeling a little bit more crusty about this game, feeling a little bit more irritated about how things played out. You look through that five stages of grief thing, which is completely bogus, by the way, um, but it's a good shorthand for how people process things. They go denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Denial might have been that post-game podcast. But anger might be more what I'm feeling today. If not anger, a little bit closer to anger than something else. Bargaining might be a couple days from now here. Hey, here's how things could get better for the Packers in 2020. Depression is probably going to come right after the Super Bowl, after it really feels like we're in the offseason. And then acceptance will come in like March or something. We'll get there. We'll get there together. But anyway, Mike Patton. I do really wonder in hindsight if I went a little too easy on Pettin and the defense in the post-game podcast. Sure, there were problems with the offense too. Big problems with the offense. But the thing about the 49ers is that they've been basically the same team all year. And they've made no secret of that. The 49ers have attacked just about every single team in almost the exact same way. They run the ball wide. They mix it up with traps. And they're going to do that again and again and again with a bunch of different running backs. You know what you're going to get from the 49ers and how they're going to do that. Not exactly. They'll change it up a little bit, but you take my meaning, I think. Their approach is not really a mystery. And again, they're pretty open about that. Kyle Shanahan is pretty well known for what he does. It dates back to the 90s and what his dad did. So let's circle back to that take I sort of touched on in the podcast. Should the Packers fire Mike Pettin? I still don't want to say that they should. I don't want to be here, the guy saying on January 21st, two days after the season ends, they should fire Mike Pettin because I'm not sure I would want to go as far as should. But I will continue to say that they should be having that conversation. It should not be just a matter of course that Mike Pettin is back for 2020. If you are having this conversation from the other direction, I think the issue becomes a little bit more clear. If you're asking why should we keep Mike Pettin, I think the the question is a little bit more difficult to answer. You keep Mike Pettin for things like stability, continuity. You keep him because the players like him. You keep him because the defense seems to have three to five really good games a year now in the two years that they've had him at the helm. But it's not like he's really revolutionizing the game or anything. Or 
really elevating, it seems, the talent pool that they have. Now, to that point, how do you really evaluate a coach from the outside? Is that possible to do accurately? Is it more than just stats that you get from the box score and wins and losses? I've been doing a little bit of work on that. The short answer, and I'm not ready to share my full piece on that yet, but the short answer is I I don't know if you really can. It's more a feel thing than anything else. But it does seem like there should have been a better result in this game than letting them roll up hundreds of yards on the ground, hundreds of yards after contact, blah, 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 before contact even, before uh, they were even laying a hand on the 49ers runners, they were way downfield already, in some cases in the end zone. But to the larger point, Mike Pettin, I don't think, should be a slam dunk for 2020. Yeah, it could be always, It could be worse is something I always say, but it could also be better. Keeping Mike Pettin is the conservative, straightforward choice. It's not indefensible to keep Mike Pettin. It may not be a slam dunk to bring him back. It's not a slam dunk to fire him either. But I think it would be cool to see a big swing for the Packers once. Say, we're really trying to maximize what we've got here. Let's go out and find somebody new, somebody with some new ideas, some different ideas, somebody who hasn't been around the league for a decade. Let's try something new and different. Mike Pettin is not new and different. He wasn't new and different when the Packers hired him. He's been successful wherever he's gone, but also there's reason to believe that this may be about as good as it gets. Sure, there are some personnel issues that could get tweaked. Sure, the 49ers might be a historically great team in some aspects, but again, I circle back to that idea of knowing what's coming. As much as I hate to give him any credit for anything, Richard Sherman did kind of have some good points after the game. Like this, He, he was basically saying, this is two games now that this has happened, we heard a lot of the same stuff from the Packers. Well, we were getting some stuff figured out. We're like, what does it take for you to get it figured out? Like, get it figured out. Then you can talk about it. He's kind of got a point. What was there for the Packers to figure out here that they didn't know about already? Certainly wasn't a big surprise what the 49ers were doing, and the Packers' defense did not seem prepared. I got to circle back a little bit um, to how I set up this bit because part of this conversation comes out of not being on social media for a day and a half or so. Took Monday entirely off from Facebook, Twitter, everything. Did not want to see the discussion. And logging back on today, I think that proved to be a, a great choice because I plopped down into what appeared to be day two of the great Aaron Rodgers body language war. I don't have a take either way on this because I don't care. Because do we really need to make this loss worse than it was? If you're to the point where you're complaining about guys' body language, it feels to me like you're searching for things that are bad now. Maybe his body language was bad, but you know where that falls on the list of bad things that happened to the Packers on Sunday? Pretty far down the list. Let's fight that temptation to make things worse than they have to be. You know that expression, don't gild the lily? Don't try to make a good thing better than it is? Don't try to really elevate something that's already pretty good already? This is like whatever the exact opposite is of that. I'm guilty of that too, a little bit. Maybe a lot. We just had a second round of discussion on whether or not you should fire a coach who's probably, all things considered, not going to get fired. But let's 
if we're going to complain things, keep it near the top of the list of things that are problems with the Packers. Maybe the body language doesn't look great. Maybe it is bad. But in the grand scheme of things that are problems with the Packers, that is pretty far down the list. All right. That is it for the NFC Championship game. We're not coming back to that one for a long time. We're looking forward now because it is Brian Gutekunst's season. From now until May, everything is basically going to be about Brian Gutekunst. What is he going to be doing? Let's take a quick look at the calendar. There are a few big dates coming up for Brian Gutekunst. First and foremost, February 21st, 24th excuse me, through March 2nd is the NFL Combine. You're scouting all the players, getting measurements, stuff like that, seeing people in person on that stage. This is where our draft stuff is really going to start. By the way, I don't like doing draft stuff before the combine. I think that's fair. I think everybody kind of understands why that is. We don't really have standardized information on these guys until the combine. We may talk about some stuff in fits and starts, but until the end of the combine, I'm not really going to dive into the draft in a substantive way. The NFL Combine is also the secret start of free agency because a couple weeks later, that's when free agency really starts. But all the agents and all the teams are in Indianapolis together. Conversations go on. They don't quote unquote officially go on, but everybody knows they also go on. I have no problem with that. Everybody does it. Everybody understands what the rules seem to be. And besides, that's just kind of how professional sports work. There's tampering, and then there's tampering that's only bad because you got caught, and then there's actual tampering, which almost really never happens in a substantive way. March 10 is the deadline for the Packers to use the franchise or transition tag. Actually, I say, should say the franchise and transition tag, because since we are headed into the last year of the collective bargaining agreement in 2020, you could hypothetically use both of those tags in one offseason. Usually it's an either-or thing. The Packers probably won't use either one of them, but if they would like to, say if they wanted to franchise Blake Martinez and then transition tag Brian Bulaga, they could. They won't, but they could. March 16th through 18th of this spring, teams can contact free agents but not officially sign them, but they'll unofficially sign them. This is when free agency is going to really start rolling, when news is going to start breaking. Then on March 18th, a whole bunch of stuff officially happens. That is when the league year officially starts and free agency begins. Here's the full rundown from NFL operations on how everything actually goes down. The official language is a little bit lawyery, but just bear with me here because I think it, it's kind of it's interesting to hear. Prior to 4 p.m. New York time, clubs must exercise options for 2020 on all players who have option clauses in their 2019 contracts. So far, so good. Prior to 4 p.m. New York time, clubs must submit qualifying offers to their restricted free agents with expiring contracts to retain a right of first refusal or compensation. Got that one? That's restricted free agents. You got to put the level of tenders that you want on guys. Prior to 4 p.m. New York time, clubs must submit a salary, a minimum salary tender to retain exclusive negotiating rights to their players with expiring 2019 contracts who have fewer than three accrued seasons of free agency credit. That one's also pretty straightforward. Those are your exclusive rights free agents. We'll talk about those guys in a second. The Packers have a few of them this year. The top 51 rule also begins on March 18th. Of all clubs must be under the 2020 salary cap prior to 4 p.m. 
New York Times. So the top 51 rule is when the top 51 contracts you have on your books are what the salary cap actually measures. This won't be a problem for the Packers, but it is when they would have to officially be under the 2020 salary cap. All player contracts expire at 4 p.m. New York time on March 18th. Then the new league year and free agency periods begin exactly at that time as well. The first day of the 2020 league year ends at 11.59 p.m. and 59 seconds. New York time, blah, 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 blah. You get it from there. Everything goes down at 4 o'clock Eastern time on March 18th. That's when the 2019 league year ends and the 2020 league year starts. And that's when free agency deals really become official. But things are going to be negotiated all through March 16th through 18th. March 29th through April 1st is the annual league meeting. If there are going to be rule changes, that's when those are going to be happening. I would imagine they're probably going to do something about that delay of game loophole where teams are running a minute or minute and a half off the clock by taking a couple penalties. The Packers tried that once against the Seahawks. Mike Rabel did it against Bill Belichick after Bill Belichick did it in the regular season. I imagine that is probably going to get changed and it's going to be no more. Bill Belichick will have to find other uh, loopholes in the rules to exploit, which I actually 100% endorse. I think that kind of stuff is, is fun. If it's in the rule book and it's okay, go ahead and do it. If it's in the rule book that you shouldn't do it, Bill Belichick, we seem to need to make this clarification for you. If you happen to listen to this podcast, if it's against the rule explicitly, don't do that. April 23 through the 20, uh, 23rd through the 25th of this year is the NFL draft. Uh, the Packers have all their standard picks through round five and then a bunch of conditional picks and extra picks from the Brett Hundley trade, uh, not the Brett Hundley trade, the Ty Montgomery trade uh, coming in the sixth and seventh round. Wouldn't put a whole lot of stock into those picks, but it's nice to have them at least. Then May 1st through 4th, clubs can have their rookie mini camps, start having their rookie mini camps. You have a few windows to to start doing that. And after that, we're really through the offseason portion of the offseason, really. Uh, you're you're going to start getting into minicamps and OTAs and stuff like that after that. And functionally, the Packers 2020 roster is all but set at that point. Most of the players you see acquired beyond that point are not going to end up making the roster anyway, uh, but you've got them around. Uh, after the draft is over, that's really it. The, the Packers roster is all but finished, and we'll be able to start really looking ahead into the 2020 regular season. But before all that happens, the big bridge the Packers have to cross is free agency. And not just your unrestricted free agents either, those guys that can sign with any team at any time. There are also exclusive rights free agents and restricted free agents. So let's talk through each of those classes of guys and see what the Packers might do here. Their exclusive rights free agents uh, are, are pretty much slam dunks here. These are guys who are on your roster for most or all of 2020. And since you have exclusive rights to them, you might as well bring them back. Packers have seven this year. Robert Tanya and Jake Kumro, Chandon Sullivan, Will Lancaster, uh, Will Redmond, or Tyler Lancaster, excuse me, Will Redmond, Alan Lazard, and John LeGlue. I will take all of those guys without thinking too hard about it, except for LeGlue and Will Redmond. LeGlue is just a guy... They've got more linemen coming back. I don't see any reason to really be super excited about keeping him, though if they do, it's not really that big of a deal. Will Redmond, I don't want around because he's actually bad. 
uh, and really shows how tenuous something like depth actually is in the NFL. The Packers went into the NFC Championship game just about completely healthy on defense. Two injuries later, suddenly Will Redmond is covering George Kittle and giving up first downs in the Packers' last gasp, gasp defensive effort there down the stretch. It's You don't, don't really have to think too long about this kind of stuff. Uh, there's really no reason not to bring most of these guys back except for the two that I just talked about. And again, if they brought them back, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But hypothetically, let's say you can only keep three of these seven. For me, and that is a totally self-imposed limit, but for me, it's Lazard, Lancaster, and Sullivan. Alan Lazard should be obvious. He's one of the Packers' better receivers, which says a lot about their receivers, but he's the best of their like mid-tier receivers and uh, should compete for more playing time in 2020. Tyler Lancaster, solid rotational defensive lineman, always good to have capable big bodies up front. Chandon Sullivan, nice, deep um, roster guy, dependable in the secondary. It was good to see him do some good things this year. In this list, you will no doubt notice that there was no Robert Tanyan. I'm fine with moving on from Robert Tanyan. Yeah, we have Jay Sternberger. That's that's good, but really, it, it feels like Tanyan might be a little bit maxed out at this point. Uh, the experiment was fun for a couple years, but I'd rather just completely overhaul the tight end position, keep Sternberger since he's under contract, maybe bring back Mercedes Lewis, but move on from Jimmy Graham and everybody else. Uh, no Jake Kumaro as well. Yeah, the thing about Jake Kumaro is probably he already is what he's going to be as a player. There's very little chance, I think, at almost age 28 that he is going to become more than he is already. And what is he? Probably like wide receiver four or five on a decent team. He was better than Geronimo Allison, and it shouldn't have taken the Packers as long as it did to give him reps ahead of Geronimo this year. But really, he's not a long-term option at receiver. He's been a great story for a couple years, but I think if you had to, you wouldn't feel too bad about moving on from him. Restricted free agents. The Packers actually have one this spring. Malcolm Johnson, the fullback. You remember him? Probably not. There's really no reason to. And I would probably pass on tendering him because there's really no reason to bring him back. They've already got a developmental fullback project uh, beyond Danny Vitale, who's a bit of a developmental guy himself. Uh, But late in December, they signed Elijah Wellman. Uh, We haven't really talked about him yet, though I do think he is an interesting player. Maybe it was in January even when they signed him. They signed him the same day as they signed that that CFL receiver, who we also have not talked about all that much yet. Uh, We'll get to them eventually, but they already have a developmental fullback is my point. Wellman's a bit of an H-back type. He did a little bit of fullback, a little running back, a little tight end, a little wide receiver even. Depends who you ask, but that is listed among his skills. Uh, Basically, Danny Vitale Light. Might as well give him a look before you give a look to the guy who you last gave a look to in Malcolm Johnson. Uh, Also remember Tommy Bohannon. Uh, That's just another fullback name who was in my head for some reason today. He is also not going to be back in 2020. So I would give Johnson a miss. Uh, Probably just take a look at Wellman, but you never know. Again, most of these uh, restricted and exclusive rights-free agents you just don't want to spend too much time thinking about if you're a general manager. Since you got him, you might as well bring him back. Um, if you did your job scouting him in the first time around, it's probably not uh, that bad an idea to take another look since you've already had him in the building and they know your system and all that stuff. Unrestricted free agents, though, this is where it gets tough. Packers have 13 of them, 12 actual ones. Jason Spriggs is the other one on this list, but um, there's not going to be much conversation around keeping him. Let's take a brief look at each of these guys 
and uh, break down their 2019 season. I'll give you what I think I would do and then what I think the Packers will do. Sound good? Let's dive right in. This will be alphabetical by last name, by the way. No no stacking the certain ones higher or whatever. We'll just go alphabetically by last name, which brings us first on the list to Geronimo Allison. He had a disappointing 2019 season, to say the least. A couple stats really jump out at me. His depth of target was way down from last year. Per Sports Information Solutions, his average pass uh, took place, or his average target took place when he was only 7.1 yards downfield. That's almost five yards. It is five yards fewer than it was last year. But at least he didn't drop a whole bunch of passes since he wasn't that far down the field, right? Low difficulty catches should be catching a whole bunch of them. Nope. He dropped almost 17% of the passes thrown his way in 2019. What I would do is I would give him a firm handshake, one of those ones that you do with both hands so he doesn't drop it, move on, and don't think twice about it. You can replace him with almost literally anybody. And what I think they'll do actually is, is move on as well. I think they will move on and not think twice about it either. Brian Bulaga, next up. He had a great year in 2019. And personally, it's satisfying for me to have him do well after kind of leading the don't cut Brian Bulaga parade for a, a few years now. He gave up three and a half sacks and was penalized five times in just under 900 snaps in 2019. According to our penalties and sacks rate stat, uh, he gave up just 0.61 sacks or penalties per 65 snaps. That is the second best total of his career. He did miss the Seattle game due to illness in the playoffs, and he did not finish games four times due to injury this year. But all in all, stayed healthy for the entire year, mostly. Uh, Played solid when he was out there. That's exactly what you want from Brian Bulaga. I think I would roll the dice on bringing him back on a two-year deal. And I think that's, it's worth it if you can, if you can get another year um, on a two-year deal like he had this year out of him. According to salary cap website SpotTrack, uh, his market value is in the range of a three-year $30 million contract. That seems a little bit high to me due to his injury history and age. I could probably be talked into a three-year $25 million deal for Brian Bulaga. A deal like that would probably turn out to be more like a two-year $15 million deal, which is pretty palatable for a starting right tackle. I think he will ultimately be back. I think the Packers are interested in bringing him back. He's a classic example of a guy who's worth more to the Packers than probably to anybody else. I don't see Bulaka as a guy who's super interested in playing for another team at this point in his career, considering the injuries he's had and the time he spent in Green Bay. It's probably the Packers or nothing for him. I think the Packers bring him back. Ibrahim Campbell is a tough one to evaluate. Uh, he returned to the Packers midseason after tearing his ACL in 2018, played in nine games, counting playoffs. But despite playing in those nine games, he wasn't on the field as much as you might think he would have been. How many times do you think he played more than half of the snaps in those nine games? Just one time. Week 10 versus the Carolina Panthers. His first game back, incidentally, he played 57% of the snaps. Only one other time this year did he play more than 50% of the defensive snaps. He's not really a coverage guy. He allowed 12 completions on 19 targets this year. He's not really that great against the run either. His average tackle was nine yards downfield. He missed tackles on about 7% of his attempts. That's only a little bit more frequently than 
uh, a guy like Tremont Williams, who will never be confused for a run defender. I would just say thanks and move on. Ibrahim Campbell strikes me as a little bit of a Band-Aid player, just trying to, to bridge the gap until you find a, a hybrid safety linebacker type who is better. That player should be Oren Burks, but it's not. Uh, Mike Pettin builds his brand on being able to figure out a role for whoever he has on his roster. He hasn't been able to figure out somebody other than Ibrahim Campbell to do this job, and Ibrahim Campbell didn't really do it all that much. I think it would behoove the Packers to move on from this uh, just to kind of force themselves into finding a better solution. It would be great if that solution, again, was Oren Burks. I'm starting to think it's not going to be. I think they will wait initially on bringing him back and maybe bring him back eventually. He seems like a a perfect case for a guy that half the Packers beat is suddenly going to be tweeting. Looks like the Packers are bringing back a familiar face in like late July when their tweener linebacker gets hurt in the second week of training camp or something like that. I wouldn't be rushing to sign him in the first few days of free agency though. Mason Crosby. Getting up there in age, but a solid year all around for Mr. Crosby. Only missed three kicks all year, two field goals, one extra point. He's kind of been at a turning point in his career for a while. Well, he's kind of been past a turning point in his career, I guess I should say. He played 80 games with the Packers prior to his awful 2012 season. And in those 80 games, he was 131 of 165 on his field goal attempts, just over 79%. 12 of 24 on kicks from 50 plus, and he made 99.2 of his extra points. 99.2%, that is, of his extra points. Since 2012, Crosby has played in 112 games with the Packers. Both of these figures are counting, or are not counting that 2012 season. So we're just going strictly pre-2012 and strictly post-2012. Uh, after 2012, he's made just over 85% of his kicks, 177 of 208. He's 21 of 33 from more than 50 yards, and he's made just under 97% of it as his extra points, but the NFL did move them back in 2015. Overall, again, a solid year. He's been solid now for a couple years here outside of that game in Detroit in 2018. I think I would bring him back, but I think at this point with Crosby, I'd want to go year to year. He turns 36 in September, so if you can get him back on a one-year deal, I would go for that. I think the Packers ultimately bring him back on something like a two-year deal, kind of giving him a little like gesture of stability there. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Crosby ultimately retires this offseason. He's been through a lot personally the last couple of years. If If I'm him, I'm 36. I've played almost a decade and a half in the NFL. I've kind of seen what there is to see here. I'd be tempted to just go home and be with my family. Given what he's gone through with the the, the women in his life having cancer scare after cancer scare uh, and, and serious issues with cancer over the past couple of years, his sister-in-law passing away uh, during last season, I just, I would, I would want to move on if I was him. Um, I'm not him. Maybe football is what, what he wants to do. But if I had that going on with my family, I think I'd rather spend the time, the time with my family. But I'm not Mason Crosby. Tyler Irvin was claimed by the Packers on December 2nd and really revolutionized their their punt return situation. That was real bad before Tyler Irvin came to town, but he returned 11 punts for 106 yards, averaged 9.6 per return there. He would have been fourth in the NFL at that rate 
if he had been with the Packers the entire season. He also averaged just under 27 yards per return on six kickoff returns. Also would have been good for fourth in the NFL. He got a little bit of action on offense, not a ton. He did add a little bit of speed to the offense. He was mostly mostly used on jet sweeps and stuff like that. I think I would probably move on if I'm the Packers. It's a nice story, but punt returning is replaceable, though maybe not quite as replaceable as you'd think. We have quite a bit of evidence for that from the Packers this year. I think what he brought to the offense can be duplicated with someone else with decent speed. I think you can't get caught up in being familiar with the guy just since he was around in a nice story. I think they'll probably wait and see, maybe bring him back later. I don't think they they go out and try to get him back right away. Kyler Fackrell is also an unrestricted free agent this offseason. But uh, fun fact, Kyler Fackrell didn't actually play in 2020. You just imagine that. You may have seen a, a white number 51 out there a couple times. That was just a mirage. You actually didn't see him on the field. Kyler Fackrell, rotational pass rusher who didn't actually create much of a pass rush. He did not actually have a full sack in the regular season despite playing 415 sa- snaps on defense. He had two half sacks. People have developed a bit of a distaste for Rashawn Gary this year, but and acknowledging that sacks are fickle, he did have two sacks and 244 snaps on defense. Almost exactly half what Fackrell played this year, twice as productive. I would move on from Fackrell and not even think about it. I think the Packers will think about it, but then ultimately move on. Same sort of situation with B.J. Goodson. Came to the Packers via Brian Gutekunst's trade. He played kind of the Antonio Morrison big physical linebacker role. 35 tackles, no sacks, no fumbles forced, no passes defense for Goodson. The kind of quintessential just a guy on defense. I think I would thank B.J. Goodson for his service and move on. I think the Packers will do the same. Inside linebacker needs a big overhaul. He is one of the first to go. Ryan Grant, also free agent. Nothing to say about Ryan Grant. He didn't do anything in 2019. I can't remember a story like him on on the active roster. What I'd do, is this even a question? You move on. What the Packers will probably do is sign him to a three-year extension and never play him again, just to mess with us. Mercedes Lewis, free agent who wants to be back. The downside with Lewis is that he's 57 years old, actually 35. He'll be 36 in May. He's almost exclusively a blocker, but he is fairly good at that and does make a pretty decent living on dump-off passes. I like the idea of him coming back. I don't like the idea of Lewis coming back on anything more than about the veteran's minimum. If you can get him back for close to that on a one-year deal, I do it. I think the Packers agree in that he'll be back. Blake Martinez. Complicated 2019 season. Complicated player in general. On the one hand, he's solid. He's reliable. He's there on every play. On the other hand, he's not good in coverage. He doesn't make splash plays. He's very athletically eliminated. And I won't belabor the point here. We've talked about Blake Martinez several times, both in season and prior to last season. Everything I feel about Blake Martinez is pretty much the same as it was when we did an exclusive episode or an almost a full episode on him right before the season started. Episode 193, if you want to check that out. Nothing's really changed over the course of the season. I would move on from him and not think twice about it. He's been a great value as a fourth-round pick, very reliable, very trustworthy, does everything that you ask of him, but the Packers need more out of that spot, and they aren't going to get it from Blake Martinez. 
I think the Packers do make overtures to Martinez. They may give him a low ball offer just to say they made him an offer. And if they could get him to accept an extreme low ball offer, I think I'm fine with that. So long as they keep adding talent there. Blake Martinez shouldn't be your number one linebacker in 2020. They may also do the don't call us, we'll call you approach. Ultimately, I do not think he comes back. I have to believe that Brian Gutekunst sees the liability here. Right? Right? Let's hope so. Jason Spriggs, technically on the team in 2019, on injured reserve all year because of how rules work with rookie contracts and stuff. I think the Packers move on. I would move on. Nothing to talk about there. Another tackle, also very tall, uh, much more interesting than Jason Spriggs is Jared Veld here. He had a remarkably solid stint with the Packers after being a literal spectator for their first game of the season. He was there when the Packers played in Chicago. Aaron Rodgers told that fascinating story. Uh, he did not give up a penalty or a sack in 35 regular season snaps. Ended up starting a playoff game for the Packers, which is wild again if you think about it. I would just consider myself lucky to have found Jared Veld here and move on and try to draft a younger t- tackle this spring. He's going to be 33 years old in June. He hasn't played a full year since 2015 and has played only two complete seasons since 2013. To be fair, Brian Bulaga has the exact same numbers. He too has only played or hasn't played a full year since 2015, except for this year. And he did technically miss a game this year in the playoffs and missed parts of others. Um, and he also missed all of 2013. But Brian Bulaga is also younger and better. I had someone float the possibility of trying to keep Veld here and letting Bulaga go because Veld here will probably be cheaper. I think that is a mistake. I'd rather have Bulaga for 12 games than Veld here for 16. If they played the same number of games, Bulaga is a better choice. I think they'll play it cool on Veld here for now, but keep his contact information handy. They might wait and see what kind of interest he gets. I don't imagine it's going to be super extensive. I wouldn't think that he's a huge priority, but competent tackles are of rare commodity. So I, I would see the interest from the Packers' perspective. I don't need, don't think he's going to be like a primary interest for them. Finally, Tremont Williams. Talk about your 2019 turn-back-the-clock season. Played all 16 games, had two interceptions, forced a fumble. He allowed a passer rating against him of just 79.3. Only 57% of the passes targeting Tremont Williams were completed this year. Perpetual mouth runner Richard Sherman was at 62%. Not apples to apples, but that gives you an idea of the ballpark of his performance. First, I'd see if he wants to even play in 2020. If you do, if he does, I think I would bring him back. I would also try to make sure that he is not my third best corner in 2020. Yes, he was great this year. If you're counting on Tremont Williams to be your number three corner for 16 games in 2020, I think that's a mistake. I think they probably will play this one a little bit slow. Again, see what kind of interest is out there, see what kind of interest Williams has in coming back. If he's if he says he's done, then that makes that decision for you. If he's getting a ton of interest from other teams, I don't really want to outbid anybody. I think the Packers play it slow, though, see what the lay of the land is, and then make their decision from there. I had to guess I'd say he is not with the Packers in 2020, but of the four or five players I'm really interested in bringing back at all, he is the one I'm probably the least certain about. There's a lot of variables that go into keeping a good player who's really in the back end of his 30s. 
But enough about Aaron Rodgers. Let's move on to the end of the episode because that's all I've got for you this time around. Thank you so much for listening. I do appreciate everyone who takes the time to download one of our episodes and tune in. If you want to support us, uh, leave us a dollar a month at patreon.com slash the power sweep. It does help us keep doing what we're doing, offset some of our costs, gives you access to some premium content. Got some more stuff coming out here in the relatively near future there. Just for our Patreon subscribers, give that a look uh, if you are a supporter. Uh, Another great way to support the show is to just leave us a question, a comment, a tweet, wherever you happen to find us on Facebook, on Twitter, blah, blah, blah. You know all the places we live. Doing that advances the conversation around this team that we follow, which helps us further our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.